Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming and practicing together tonight. I'm going to read a little bit tonight and talk from How to Raise an Ox, which is Zen practice as taught by Zen master Dogen's Shobogenzo. The translation is by Francis Dogen Cook, and I wanted to honor Dogen, who was uh, a longtime member of the Zen Center of Los Angeles when I was living and training there. A wonderful translator, collaborated with Maizumi Roshi. Uh, he died a few weeks ago, and we've been chanting for him every day. We'll, we'll continue for 49 days at the monastery. A really wonderful and kind man who loved Buddhism and especially loved Dogen Zenji. The very first uh, section after his introductory chapters, the very first section or fascicle of Shobogenzo, Dogen Zenji's uh, beautiful writing, life work, is the Fukan Zazengi, which is Universal Recommendations for Doing Zazen. And it doesn't mean just Zazen on the cushion, it means our life as Zazen. Well, the first lines from the Fukan Zazengi, as translated by Dojin Cook, are The way is essentially perfect and exists everywhere. The truth that carries us is sovereign, it does not require our efforts. The way is essentially perfect and exists everywhere. The truth that carries us is sovereign and does not require our efforts. I highly recommend the introductory uh, chapters in here by, by Francis Dojin Cook. It really reveals the kind of person he was and his understanding of practice. And so I'm going to read a little bit of what he wrote. The Zen of Dogen Zenji is the Zen of practice. For those who are new, Dogen Zenji was a brilliant Zen teacher in Japan in the 1200s. He lived 53 years. He had a very short life, but he uh, was very prolific and founded two monasteries during that time, very prolific in his teaching and writing. The, the Zen of Dogen is the Zen of practice. The main theme that runs through all of Dogen's teachings is of the necessity for daily, serious, continuous practice of Zen at all times. The goal of Buddhism is not enlightenment. Enlightenment is the doorway through which one must pass to reach the goal. If enlightenment is the goal, then why would one practice after enlightenment? And he discusses the Western incorrect idea that enlightenment is a one-time sudden event that then radically changes your life and then of course you would be completely enlightened and a Buddha and then you wouldn't need to practice anymore he discusses how incorrect that is the true life of the Dharma involves the realization the realization means making real in our lives of the teachings of the Buddha this making real does not happen in the absence of constant effort, which is the daily, regular, conscious direction of the will towards that realization. 
So the making real involves the con- conscious direction of our will, our intention, towards making it real. Buddhism would degenerate into mere philosophy or into vague, warm feelings directed towards some remote, mysterious other if it were not for this direction of practice. Zen masters tell us repeatedly that there is nothing to attain. Furthermore, this nothing is attained many times in varying degrees of intensity and depth. So as you know, Zen practice is full of opposites, of the tension of opposites. It's the acknowledgement that our life is full of opposites. And if we try to get rid of one opposite, we will be in big trouble because the balance of the world is maintained through this tension of opposites. It's not an easy balance. That's why we say the tension of opposites. So how to resolve this tension of opposites that Dogen Zenji is instructing us in, that there is nothing to attain. There is nothing to attain. And at the same time, we must practice with constant effort towards making real, realizing enlightenment in every activity of our life. Dogen Zenji uses the phrase Hon Sho Myo Shu, wonderful practice based on intrinsic enlightenment. This was one of the revolutionary things that Dogen Zenji taught. Not only that sentient beings included more than just people. To Dogen Zenji, sentient beings included not only people, but animals, plants, and what we would call insentient existences, stones, rocks, tiles, the earth itself. That these are all sentient beings and are all Buddha nature. It doesn't mean that beings possess Buddha nature that it is a possession, something that we can win or buy. It doesn't mean that we're containers in which there is a seed of something called Buddha nature. There are not two realities, beings and Buddhas. These are not two different things. beings and Buddhas. They are the same. It means that beings are Buddhas, but that beings, some beings, in particular human beings, are temporarily blind, ignorant Buddhas. So can you accept, even for a moment, that reality that every being in this room, every being in this city... is a Buddha? Is it completely necessary part of the Buddha body, the Buddha nature? Is that possible to imagine or experience even for a moment? You might feel cheated in Buddhism because This is what we get. We don't get anything other than this. This is what we get. This 
this, this, this here is the Buddha. Buddha nature manifesting is every one of us. There's a certain amount of faith that we have to have to be able to practice. Faith that we are intrinsically Buddhas, that we are intrinsically upright, that we are intrinsically noble, that we are intrinsically pure, that we are intrinsically generous, that we are intrinsically benevolent, tender-hearted, that we are intrinsically wise, that we are intrinsically unafraid. We have some inkling that that's our true nature when everything's going well. When everything's going well, those qualities tend to manifest in us, and we realize, well... That's me on a good day. (laughs) But what about the bad days? Hmm? The difficult times. The difficult times are when various circumstances in our life cover up our intrinsic nature. When our suffering covers up our intrinsic nature. But at the same time, it's our suffering which drives us to want to experience it. Due to the inevitable stings and insults and buffeting about and being scraped and jostled and wounded, inevitable to a human life, as that happens to us, we become temporarily bent down, not upright. We become temporarily ignoble. We become temporarily clouded. We become temporarily stingy. We become temporarily angry. We become temporarily unclear. We become temporarily afraid and we lose track of our Buddha nature and the Buddha nature in all other beings. The fact that we will all experience this covering over of our inherent beauty. The Navajos say, walk in beauty. That means manifest this intrinsic Buddha nature the fact that we lose sight of our intrinsic beauty and the beauty of all beings, you could call original sin if you were Catholic. The Buddhists call it, Buddhists call it the working of cause and effect, the inevitable working of cause and effect, that we will lose sight of who we really are and who everyone else is and all creation, what all creation is. It's inevitable. That's why our practice has to be continuous. We have to have faith that this is temporary, that we can be restored through practice to experiencing who we really are. 
who we really are is never even one molecule away from us. Not one atom away from us, not one electron away from us. It is our molecules, our atoms, our electrons. Our Buddha nature is manifesting in our every breath, in our every step, in our every blink. in our every sneeze, in our every fart. (laughs) Zen Buddhists are very earthy. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to make it our experience more and more? What Dogen Zenji says, continuous practice. This last weekend, we had a, a Buddhist priest, Zen priest from the Berkeley area, who teaches at Graduate Theological Union, Taigen Dan Layton Kum. And we did a workshop on Zen Master Hong Shu's Cultivating the Empty Field. It's another description of our practice endlessly cultivating this empty, clear, bright field. And one of the lines from one of his poems is, the water is clear to the very bottom. Fish swim lazily. That poem wouldn't speak to us unless we had some inkling of what that meant unless the truth of those words resides in us already. So let's just try for a moment to experience the water is clear to the very bottom. So can you fill your mind with that awareness of clear water as if your mind is a deep pool of clear water? And when thoughts or sensations arise, it's a fish swimming lazily by. But our attention is not on the sensations, the sounds, the thoughts, the little itches or irritations in our body. Our attention is on the clarity of that water. Please hold the clarity of that water in your mind. Within that huge, clear pond, everything is included. Do not be distracted by that everything. Hold the mind's awareness on that clarity. Do not exclude that everything. Let it swim by. 
in this huge clear pond. It is this clarity of mind, this clarity of heart, which continually calls to us from within and brings us to this place tonight together to practice. It compels us to practice. If we move away from it, we begin to suffer. We begin to feel restless and lonely and empty. It calls to us again and calls us back to practice together. Practice is a constant and joyous effort, a constant and joyous redirecting of our awareness, of our attention, to the experience of The way is essentially perfect and exists everywhere. The truth that carries us is sovereign and does not require our efforts. Thank you.